been here for a long time, but I'm finally recording. Uh, I've been waiting for something. Uh, Marcus isn't here. Uh, John? Yes. I oh, great. Here. Great. That's fantastic. Hey, John. Uh, Thank you, too. Hey, Trevor. How's it going? Hello. I'm here. Hey, everyone listening out there. This is my uh, dear friend, Trevor Stottlemyre. He's going to be joining us to, to discuss a very special movie on Popcorn Escaton today. Yes, for the listeners, this is Scott Thoreau, and this, that's John Arminio. We are the side story, but our own story. We are the Midrash and our own shit. That is Popcorn Escaton. We are, we are on the station of Zebras in America, but we are our own thing. Like when Lex Records left Warp, like it's all good. And we're going to be discussing a special movie today. Uh, John, would you like to introduce your friend and then introduce this movie? Yeah, uh, so this is my friend Trevor, and he and I have known each other since college. So mm-hmm. going on 20 years now, um, he's been... Amazing, my, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my mentor in a lot of things, because we did um, college radio together, so... In music as well as in uh, film, I frequently leech off of his physical media collection. <laughs> um, well, thank from, you for yeah. that. Thank and, you. And um, and today we're going to be talking about the 36th Chamber of Shaolin, because uh, I know this is a movie that means a lot to Trevor, and it uh, means a lot to me as, as well for um, different reasons, but we're going to get into that. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this movie when did it come out? Who is it directed by? And what's like a basic synopsis? Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, do you want John, John? You want to do it or? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, Thirty Six Chamber of Shaolin. Uh, it's one of the most famous martial arts movies of all time. Uh, directed by Long Kar Lung. Uh, starring Gordon Liu. Came out in nineteen seventy eight from Shaw Brothers. It, it influenced a ton of martial arts movies. It influenced a ton of musicians. Uh, most famously, the Wu Tai Clan, obviously, um, but it's also very unique as far as martial arts movies go, as far as genre movies go, typically, because it's really known for its extended training sequence that mm-hmm. takes up the f- full middle hour of the movie, whereas you know most genre movies have a spectacular opening and a grisly end, no matter what sort of genre they are. But this one, it's like, no, this movie is about self-improvement, and it really hammers that theme home, and uh, it's very special for that uh, particular reason. And for the uninitiated, which probably, maybe not, the people that are listening to this show, who are the Shaw Brothers? Trevor, you want to take that? Okay, well, Shaw Brothers uh, was a company that uh, was out of Hong Kong, and it, it, it worked in musicals, comedies, all kind of things. But it really latched on to uh, wushu and uh, kung fu movies as its moneymaker. Um, that's what it became known for. And it made an amazing amount of money overseas because it was sold and distributed uh, in a lot of uh, inner city uh, theaters, uh, which you know makes it even that more important on our end. But they were the most powerful studio in Hong Kong at the time of their, you know, highest. Right. Like there's this 
Hong Kong cinema, like the the films of like Cynthia Rothrock or something that mm. are very popular in Hong Kong and then get a second life and a third life by going into exploitation cinema in urban areas, specifically New York City, Times mm-hmm. Square, where they were just showing these movies. And, you know, there were a couple of people from Staten Island and Brooklyn, these cousins that would go see these movies and would eventually be inspired by the film and the genre. And obviously, well, I want to, I'm, I'm trying to present these days in an APA format, which assumes that the listener does not know everything. So I try to give like a little bit just in case. So we're talking about the Wu-Tang Clan, primarily started by cousins, the Rizza, the Jizza, and the Old Dirty Bastard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Rest in peace. And they were inspired by these movies, and their first their first album was called Return to the 36 Chambers, and they were using samples from these movies and samurai movies and things of that nature. But I haven't watched this movie in 25 years. I watched this movie. There, uh, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but whatever. Back growing up in Brooklyn, there was Fulton Mall, which was just this. It wasn't even really a mall. There was a mall connected to it called the Albee Square Mall, for which a Bismarcky song called My House is the Albee Square Mall comes from. But mostly it was just this block of like blocks, a neighborhood of stores, mostly clothing stores, but there were also record stores and electronic stores. And there were a bunch of stores like Music Imperium, which would have records on one floor and movies on one floor and uh, and like uh, electronics on the other. And then there was Beat Street, which had records on the ground floor and movies all over the place. And then there were like there was this bazaar that just had you could find random movies of all different types, mostly of the of the exploitation variety. And maybe you two can. Tell me what you think of that term, because I used to have trouble with the term. However, it is a very, when you say that that term, you understand the type of movies that you're talking about. So I don't know. And I would just collect whatever kung fu movies or wushu movies or anime or whatever I could find at these places. And they have the VHS cassettes for like $4, $5 a piece. And there was also a, a collection of these Shaw Brothers movies that had like a second, like The Rizza Presents, blah, 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 Challenge Drunken Master, do, do, do. So I got the movie and I watched it. And then you guys were like, let's do an episode about this. And I'm watching this movie again. I'm like, oh, this is, this is some like, this is some righteous shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. And, you know, what's um, fascinating to me about the lives of, of all these kung fu movies is, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to have, like, the Shaw Brothers box set, and, and everything is, like, gorgeously restored, and it, it looks pristine, but these movies stayed alive because of things like Black Belt Theater and, you know, uh, bootleg VHSs, so these movies lived for 30 years, like, like panned and scanned, and like oh, yeah. dubbed over dubbed over dubbed, and so e- even when they looked as awful as a majorly released movie could, they still had an inherent power 
to inspire people and stay around for us to want to restore them in the pristine way we can see them now. And I find that whole journey pretty fascinating. Yeah, and there's sort of a, a charm to watching the... You can find VHS rips of these movies online. You can also, through many different ways, find this movie restored online that that involve a a YouTube or paid stuff. So the, the restorations of these movies are really quite good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh, now I understand why these dudes wanted me to, to watch this movie. Because I'm like, how is this going to connect to, how does this connect to the working class? It does. How is it going to connect to like the patriarchy, the monoliths, uh, robber barons? It does. Mm-hmm. Uh, classism, definitely. Accessibility of arts and resources. Yep. So why don't y'all tell me about the movie a little bit? Yeah. So um, the the plot it, it takes uh, place during the seventeenth or eighteenth century. It's a little nebulous when mainland China was ruled by the Manchu Dynasty, which came from the north and replace the Ming Dynasty, which came immediately after the Mongols were ruling China. And frequently in Chinese cinema, this is sort of the setup for a lot of, like, heroes' journeys, where the Manchu oppressors are, you know, killing, taking advantage of, exploiting uh, the local Han Chinese populace, and eventually the, the main character has to, you know fulfill their potential and rise up against the Manchu oppressors. And that's sort of what happens in, in this film to our, our protagonist, Sun Ta. Um, and, you know, he eventually achieves a, a sort of enlightenment um, as he emerges from the Shaolin Temple after several years of training and gets revenge and, and leads uh, an uprising, at least in, in his local uh, district. Um but I, I know that you know, Riza himself says that he he's seen this movie hundreds of times, mm-hmm. and it's something that helped him when he was a young person with his own journey of of self improvement. I I, th- I think he was facing. I think that the lore, the Wu Tang lore, there, is that he was facing like an eight year prison sentence. It was and, an eight year prison sentence. Yeah, yes. mm-hmm. and, and that, and he eventually avoided going to jail but he came very close to you know entering the prison industrial complex and mm-hmm. we, would, we all would have been um the worse for it um but uh trevor yeah. our conversations led me to suggest this movie um so if you could tell us why what inspired you about this movie that led you to turning to it for for inspiration for yourself. Well, let me oh, just give Oh, and a... one more thing. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and who okay. you are? That sounds great. Well, my name's Trevor Stoudemire. I'm the producer of Ambassador Radio. I've been doing radio to some extent for about 25 years. Uh, I am an avid film lover. Um, the old uh, story goes that I was in my first theater at six months. So I was literally raised on movies. Uh, I've battled mental health issues all my life, and uh, I've always, you know, found comfort in the arts. 
Um, I went to the hospital twice in about a month period for severe mania. And with severe mania and being bipolar, with one extreme, there is the other. So after leaving the hospital, I slowly started to fall into a deep depression and uh, gets very intense, severe atahonia. At this point, I could you know, do pretty much nothing. I was in the house and there was, you know, I could watch like one or two things on repeat. And uh, at this time, you know, those films, I don't necessarily consider influential in my journey through depression. We're talking about Invasion of the Animal People and uh, Mono's Hands of Fate. Um, but I remember pushing myself at one point to watch 36 Chambers. Mm. Now, I was excited about the box set because my interest in Shaw Brothers falls more into the horror, uh, the action, uh, not... Uh, the the outer stuff that they did, um, which Boxer's Omen is a classic if you aren't familiar with it. Um, while watching 36 Chambers, it just, you know, kind of occurred to me over continual watchings is if uh, Robert Diggs, the RZA, can apply this film to his life after narrowly escaping eight years for murder... Why can't this be applied to cognitive behavioral theory in depression and atahonia? Now, at this time, my medication was finally starting to work over about a seven-month period. But like Rocky, it is a triumph film. And it's a film that is cut into three distinct parts. There's the introduction in which you find out about, you know, the the oppression and uh, the horrible things that are being done to, you know, what? then you have the training part, which is about a 40 minute um, section. And then you have him in the world, which is creating the 36th chamber. And simply that, that it was very attractive to me. And at the time, I was grabbing at a lot of things because I, you know, I was at a, 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 the lowest point I'd ever been. So that's why I'd say that film um, spoke to me. Yeah, and you know, personally being Trevor's friend, it, it was, uh, you know, it, it was difficult to to see you know this you know this this guy that, that I love go, going through this you know going from mania to being hospitalized to being severely depressed and you know when you're witness to that especially somebody with you know my my personality is that well okay well everything is my fault and if I don't fix it then I'm a bad friend and so I was you know pretty pretty despondent as to how much I could or in what way I could help Trevor so um, when I saw him getting better and you know having conversations about which movies he's watching and um, and especially for something like like this it, it, I was very relieved and gratified that uh, a, a piece of art could help somebody along their mental health journey along with obviously you know therapy and, and medication mm-hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. And also, John, I want to let you know that you also were an inspiration that helped me get better. 
Um, so thank you very much. My pleasure. Uh, but Scott, um, what were some of the things that you found on this sort of rewatch specifically that, that like you said, was some righteous shit? Well, I, I want to talk about a few things. Um, one, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. As, as John may have told you without going into great detail, I do work in mental health. I am a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I encounter people that go through these things and I also go through these things. So thank you for sharing. And I think the more, I think the more we share, the more we elucidate what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Uh, People are like, Oh, all these hella cool people go through this shit too. So Mm -hmm. not me because I said hella cool. So, but, (laughs) and interesting because I think, the fact that this movie is postmodern by accident, by the fact yeah. that the the middle of the movie is the triumph of of the movie of these little victories, and getting over depression is little victories, exactly. little steps, day and it takes a mm-hmm. and it takes a long time. It doesn't take. It doesn't always take like. Oh, I'm going to see my therapist four times. I'm going to change my meds. And all of a sudden, voila, it's going to be okay. I mean, you might feel something right away, but also sometimes the the, the initial side effects of SSRIs or things like that are mania. So, or like, <laughs> There's or a like, story in that. <laughs> yeah. So you're like, wait, I'm feeling really good right now. And you're like, oh, well, or am I having a manic episode? And... For people that have ever had manic episodes, it is not how people who have never had a manic episode might wantonly describe they had a manic episode or wantonly describe their OCD or wantonly describe ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so not many people want to admit to the fact that in a manic situation, and I also have ADHD. Um, you black out sometimes as far as what you say and what you do. So the recovery of mania is frightening because you're slowly learning about things some you didn't know you did. Yeah, you're you're like un, unraveling a mystery mm-hmm. of you. It's not like, oh, I was manic and like I bought a shirt on Amazon and I ate a cake. It's like, no, I... Yeah. That, that'd be awesome. Like... Mm-hmm. No, I, you know what, let me not even, because that could be, that could be acting, activating for people. But there's this guy who's, who's a student, who's trying to be righteous, who is trying to overtake these people and then like escapes to the, the monastery to teach himself how to defend himself. And then finds righteousness for his own self by doing it, and then is also able to uh, defend himself and overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. And you know, I really like that one of the sort of inciting philosophical questions of the movie is one of the um, the protagonist's fellow students says to him, "They say one must submit to those who rule." Must we and our children yield and conform forever? 
And, you know, that is, like, a really intriguing question for, you know, a movie made in China um, to be asking. Now, now, certainly in the 70s, Hong Kong cinema was very different from mainland Chinese cinema. Um, and, you know, now uh, that is unfortunately not the case. Um, Hong Kong does not have the, f the freedom to have sort of authoritarian questioning messages like that. Um, but this is, as much as it is a patriotic film, it's also one that acts, asks us to question authority, question ourselves, question our own motivations, and to stand up for both ourselves and the little guy, and to join together and, and fight against uh, the people in power. And so as, as much as the, there's the traditional inciting incident of a hometown being ravaged, like in a lot of martial arts movies, that there is still like this philosophical quest that these characters are on. I completely agree, uh, John, because the thing is, um, 36 Chambers is such a special movie, but thematically, it has much in common with much of the Shaw Library. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why the Shaw Library was so important uh, to people, especially in inner cities and things like that. It's the same reason why, you know, the spaghetti westerns uh, were popular, but the martial arts films were always triumphing over adversity, triumph over oppression, triumph of will. Um, they were, see, I was raised in certain ways by the values of film. And there have been a lot of people who are in situations where that's where they learn their core values in a movie theater or in front of a television. And I'm going to say that, that my views about, about modern China may veer from John Arminio's views of modern China, but I don't feel the need to go deeply into it. And did we... Did we go back that, you know, the movie is sort of a, like follows a, a fictionalized version of Sante, mm -hmm. the legend, you know, legendary Shaolin martial arts disciple? Yeah, there's, um, yeah, so Sante is, is one of the various historical figures that are used as a protagonist in um, martial arts movies. So, um, like in the 60s, a lot of the martial arts protagonists were like a sort of mytho-historical time in the in the past um but when you get into the 70s um you started to get more specific uh heroes and so santa is one um wong fei hung is another and wong fei hung is, is somebody who um goes back like to the 40s and 50s as far as protagonists go but uh wong fei hung was um a folk hero martial art master uh traditional medicine practitioner during the Boxer Rebellion in the late 19th century. And he was the founder of uh, Hunga Kung Fu, which is both the variety of Kung Fu that I took when I was in college and in my 20s, and also the, the branch of Kung Fu that Gordon Liu and Wang Kar Lung uh, practiced. So, like, for me, for me personally, um, to get it all out there, I was... Fucking terrible <laughs> um, at, at, at Kung Fu. Uh, I took it for s several years, um, but I, you know, saw myself getting lapped by new students. But 
like there's this magnificent training sequence in the beginning of the film over the opening credits this very lyrical you know uh, magical realism sort of demonstration of Gordon Liu's skills and like all those movements like the stuff with the you know he has these like weighted rings on his forearms when he's doing these these training movements and like I did all that stuff uh so it's so for me it's it's very special to just you know kind of revisit and live vicariously a little, a little bit through um Gordon Liu's performance and and this is sort of like the martial arts movie that the people in class and our teacher would be like, oh no, that's a good one. That's one you should watch. Jackie Chan's a clown, um, uh, but this is this is the the real deal. Now, I I personally like love Jackie Chan to death, but I, he's he's a name you don't bring up in in a hunga school. Yeah. So, what what inspires y'all from from a from a leftist or spiritual perspective? Well, for me, um, I was raised in a rather political household. Uh, my mother was uh, always connected with things like Madre and Amnesty International and um, very leftist in her views. And uh, I remember her studying the Sandinistas and uh, you know there were a lot of books around the house about the Sandinistas. And so... I've always been attracted uh, to cinema or music of protest uh, and, you know, stories of, you know, the, the proletariat, you know, taking charge and doing, you know, what, you know, is good for the people. And, you know, I really appreciate how there is sort of this um, underground rebellious thought taught by the teacher character in, in, mm-hmm. in the film who's you know the the mentor of of Santa and and his his peers um, and you know these these guys are like hardcore you know it, one of the opening like the opening acts of violence you see one of the the rebels like kills himself by like slicing his guts open with a with a sword to prevent yeah. himself from being captured. Like, th- these guys are uh, the real deal. But at the same time, you know, one of the first things that Santa does when he gets to the Shaolin Temple after he sort of recovers from his injuries is he... Well, well first he cleans for, like, a year before he has the nerve to actually ask, can I tell you, please? And then that he's... The monks say, okay, you can go to any of the 35 chambers, because the 36th has not been created yet, that you want. He says, well, I want to go to the most difficult one and skip to the end. And so you're witness to these monks chanting a mantra mantra for, like, five solid minutes. Um, You know, Buddha teaches, in emptiness there is no form, in form there is no emptiness, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, vision, nor the realm of consciousness. And it, it goes on like that. And for a movie to go from, you know, these very intense battle sequences, you know, a, a guy disemboweling himself, basically, to like, all right, let's sit and listen to these Buddhist mantras and philosophy, I, found, I find very, you know, inspiring and compelling that a film can use cinema 
to make Buddhist philosophy exciting. Yeah. And just like the idea of just repetition and mindfulness and getting yourself in check. And what do you think about the 36th chamber? The real world chamber. Yeah, that, I think that is, um, I, I wish I, I knew more about the history of, of Shaolin, you know, Kung Fu and the practice of teaching it to people. Um, but, but that over the thousands of year history of Shaolin, you know, that, that was an ongoing sort of cultural debate. Like how much do we bring our Kung Fu to the people? And I think this film is, is sort of a like a condensation of that philosophical debate because there were times when you know the the government would burn down Shaolin temples in retaliation for them teaching kung fu to people so you could certainly understand why they would want to stay insular but as one of the monks says like a buddhist must fight evil and, and certainly somebody like Wang Fei Hung became so adored because his direct, even though he wasn't a, a monk, his mission was to teach Kung Fu to, to the people. And so, you know, this is also a movie about the dissemination of mm-hmm. sacred knowledge. Sacred not just because it's religious, but sacred because it could help people save lives. And if you have something that can save lives, shouldn't you try to share that? You know, when I talk to friends that are trying to get into leftist politics and they're like, yo, I really do feel this, but like this, this, this is a lot. The literature, the work, the praxis, like, where do I start? And I'm like, you know, I saw a TikTok once where, like, you know, you can just vibe. But, you know, how sometimes it'll be like, uh, you can Google something. I don't I don't have the time to to burden to, to teach. Well, I do because I'm a cis hetero white dude. I have nothing but time. So if you are if you are, you know, someone that looks a lot like me that wants to learn, I I'm I'm willing to do the work. I'm not going to tell you to Google it because you're going to find some whack shit there anyway. So I will like, oh, what are you interested in? What do you want to learn? Also, like some of this stuff is writ- like some of the early stuff is written in a very of the time style that might be hard to unpack. So I'm going to say some some sacrilegious stuff that sometimes reading other people's understanding of concepts will help you. I mean, even Jacobin's ABCs of Socialism, while is not perfect, is fantastic. I have a few copies that I give to people when they're like, <laughs> when they're like, ah, how do I, like, like I, I want to get the basic gist. And I'm like, here you go. So by, so to me, that it's like a metaphor of making the praxis accessible because not all of us uh, have the privilege of knowing all the big words of 
of understanding everything. And then there there is something powerful about teaching. You can talk about like the Black Panther Party and Fred Hampton, where like his what was really beautiful about him was that he was Mm -hmm. he was training people to be in good shape to be healthy to eat well and to learn so he was like doing all types of study of praxis and he thought that that was important and i'm just saying but he also made it accessible by offering food and all this other things so accessibility is very important to me and you know just bringing it back to kung fu as a sort of direct skill to skill teaching process you know um when i did take kung fu you know i i was constantly seeing how how much better other people were than me and so if i were if i did get promoted which did happen i sort of like wanted to not take on that responsibility because it was easier for me to say well i don't know anything i'm just a dumb dumb but it soon occurred to me that, you know, the way you learn the next stage of your process is to be able to teach it to other people, to, to newcomers, because then it forces you to look at your own skills in a completely new way because you have to pass that knowledge on to somebody else. And so I think that that sort of realization can certainly apply to any skill you have, whether it's it's a, a physical skill, um, a uh, a, a philosophical one, uh, economic knowledge, or something like kung fu, which is absolutely holistic. I like that. Cool. Yeah, and so, like, when the movie has its culmination, tell me a little bit about that. Um. So I, I've I've thought about this. You know quite a bit um so santa is very insistent that he should that the, the shaolin monks should bring their kung fu skills to the people to create the 36th chamber and the abbot punishes him by force for his impertinence to go out into the world and collect alms um, but this is never said explicitly but my interpretation is that he, that's really granting Santa what he wants. So, so exactly. he, he can, mm-hmm. yep. he can t- say in front of the other monks, I'm quote unquote punishing you, but really he's letting Santa take the first step into disseminating Kung Fu knowledge to the people who truly need it. And mm-hmm. Santa then goes throughout the village or his, his hometown, um, you know, finds finds his people in worse off uh, situations than, than they were before you know his his father's business is gone his, his father's dead um, but and he encounters some very disillusioned individuals but through his wisdom uh, through his demonstration of his own skill he's able to inspire them to to, to learn Kung Fu and he's able to provide simple instructions for people to improve their, their combat skills, their organizational capacity. And, um, he even encounters a rice miller who complains like the, the Manchus have killed so many people. Uh, no, he, he says to the rice miller, sorry, the Manchus have killed so many people. Don't you want to fight back? The rice miller says, no matter how bad things are, what can I do? I'd rather drink. 
people continue to suffer because too many have that attitude. And, you know, that is sort of the central thesis of not only the film, but Santa and the way he looks at how necessary it is to spread this knowledge to the common people. Righteous. Mm -hmm. Well, you had mentioned the 36 chamber and, um, <clears throat> sorry for me right now, looking at my recovery, uh, I'm just thrilled to be Sente, um, actually standing there after 25 weeks and, you know, being told you now can move on to this. So for me personally, the inspiration, inspiration and by inspiration pardon me um and you know the way the movie has influenced me is still going on so you know that you know the 36 chamber to me is when i've been able to practically use my knowledge and um spirituality and abilities um so you know, that's my take on the 36 chamber for myself. And I'm glad you got there, man. Yeah, me yep. too. And I, I, it is also remarkable how, like, fun this movie is. You know, as, you know, like, it, in real life training, you're not sitting around for weeks ramming your head into, <laughs> into punching bags until you get good enough at that you're going around to, to different places all at once but the way that the film is executed it's just so entertaining so lively so fun to watch um you know the the cinematographer uh, arthur wong um was 21 uh when he <laughs> when he filmed this movie and this is like the, i think is his third film and so it's just this real collision of incredibly talented individuals working at the height of their abilities. And, you know, Gordon Liu was the sort of adopted brother of uh, Long Kar Lung, the director, or, or the godson of Long Kar Lung's father, however you want to uh, look at it. And so these are people who really came up together, and they're putting their... their putting their practices in action as much as they can, you know, in, in making this movie. You said about the film being entertaining. Um, it was the first Shaw Brothers film I showed my son, Ira. And recently I got a chance to, with one of my best friends, uh, William McGuire, who is a just amazing resource about Asian cinema. I got a chance to rewatch it with my son and him. And it is, it's a fiercely entertaining movie. And what makes it so interesting is it's fiercely entertaining with 40 minutes of training. Mm -hmm. it, it just so dynamically shot like the, the, you know, hopping across the, the water sequence the uh, carrying water with uh, with your arms completely horizontal with, with knives attached to them so you stab yourself if your arms go down. Um, I really love there's a sequence where Santa has to 
punch these spinning plates when a light is reflected onto that plate, and so it's mm-hmm. it, training his um, reaction time and, and, and his vision. It's just visually arresting every step of the way, and it, it's hard to find a film in any genre that is able to keep your attention as just going through these sort of like non-narrative sequences, but sort of emotional and thematically uh, connected sequences. It's interesting to me as a viewer uh, that, you know, you can talk so much about this film, but as a person just watching it, its teachings are very simple. You must find your own courage, and from your courage you must understand that persistence is the only key, and then after that you must learn practical use. And that's like Cliff Notes' version of 36 Chambers, in my opinion. And that's why I think for me, as a person who has dealt with mental health, it was such an inspirational film. And I love that it did that for you. Thank you. I, uh, I have a lot to be thankful for for this film, not only for how great it is, but how much it helped uh, my friend Trevor, and you know, I uh, Santa exits the the temple. He doesn't go on a killing rampage. His first mission is to pass on knowledge and let the people know that they have power to defend themselves, to take back their self actualization from their Manchu oppressors. And you know, he's fighting one of the you know, the wicked lords, and he just sort of, like, dodges around, and the lord's own men stab him to death with their sort of misguided spear points. You know, he's able to use his intelligence and his his knowledge of his surroundings um, to defeat his enemies. So he, he's not mm-hmm. a, a brutal, you know, spirit of revenge. He's an enlightened individual who's able to recruit you know, the oppressed people and, and use that righteousness to defeat evil. And, you know, it, it is a bit of like a a black and white morality in, in that framing of it, but the way he gets there is incredibly nuanced and inspiring. Absolutely. And, you know, as we as we wrap it up, what what are some closing thoughts? Besides film, music has been a huge part of my life. So, you know, it was that simultaneous click of watching a classic film and associating with it, but also being a long-term fan of, you know, the RZA and uh, Wu-Tang Clan. And, um, you know, then goes back to Lee Scratch Perry, which, you know, the RZA is the Lee Scratch Perry of New York, in my opinion, you know. God bless the late League Scratch Perry. Um, yes. So there's a, just a massive history of how these films were used to propel music. So that right there brings interest to me. Um, it's just, it's just um, a wonderful, inspirational film that um, is a beautiful introduction to the Shaw Library, but also, um, you know, a it, it, it is a hallmark to what film can do. Ooh, I like that. Uh, I like that. I really yeah. do. 
Uh, that's uh, that's all I need to, need to say to Trevor. So, okay. <laughs> so th thank you for that. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just I'm really glad to have you guys here. Um, yeah, if you check out these movies, check out Wu Tang, check out Riz's Man of the Iron Fist, the sequel that he mm -hmm. didn't direct is kind of better in my opinion. <laughs> but. You but know, yeah, those movies are, are a ton of fun. I think they're overlooked. Yeah, definitely check those out. Yeah. Well, real quick, uh, if you don't mind, Scott, um, right now my current project is Ambassador Radio, and um, I post the show and also a lot of other information to ambassadorradio.org. And um, my whole life has been about diversity, and that is, you know, my taste is a massively diverse taste in, in, in mm. all things. So the program in itself is about diversity and how to combine divergent sounds while mixing history that they do sound good together. So I just wanted to, you know, sorry to plug myself, but uh, no, yeah. you should totally <laughs> plug yourself and we'll put, we'll put a link to your shit. Oh, thank you, you know, mm -hmm. all right. It was, it was really glad to, uh, see you all well thank you again scott and thank you again my, my pleasure thank you for doing this all right